0: Hey, I wanted to give a little insight on our message today. Um, we have uh, begun our uh, teaching on uh, the series called Soul Rx, and Rx is a prescription, and um, it's all a teaching through the book of Psalms. And this is what we say about the book of Psalms, is that there's no better prescription for what ails your soul than deep communion with God. And so we're talking about uh, Psalm 42 today, and the, um, the subject is spiritual depression. And uh, the reason why I wanted to give this disclaimer is because um, whether we know it or not, um, we're all going to go through spiritual depression uh, at some time or another, whether you're new in the faith or old in the faith, and you'll probably go through it more than once. Uh, but what I, I want you to get right up front before I even start talking about is this is not a suck it up message. There's reasons why we should be depressed. There's reasons that our soul is downcast. And here's the thing, the gospel does not tell us not to be depressed. It tells us who will get us through our depression. So I want that to be your mindset as we go on uh, into our teaching today. We're going to watch a pretty hard-hitting video, and so I just wanted to be you to be prepared. I know that there's many of you out there that have gone through some devastating things uh recently and maybe you're still going through those right now so uh this message is for you uh and it's not a get over it message okay it's a message of grace and hope and perseverance okay Yay. all right hey thanks for letting me uh, have the opportunity to teach uh, pastor rays on vacation and as i said we're in the book of psalms verse 42 so you can turn there in your bibles Our subject today, again, is uh, spiritual depression. And what I said earlier is true. If you are on any sort of spiritual journey in your life, you will suffer spiritual depression at some level and at some time and probably and most likely more than once. And if you don't suffer spiritual depression... I'm not quite sure that your biblical perspective, your worldview is, uh, is accurate because there's much to be depressed about in this, uh, in this uh, world we live in, uh, but it's not if we will suffer, but how we will suffer, and we'll talk more about that. Um, spiritual depression um, can be talked about in the sense that it's, it's kind of a spiritual season in our lives, and seasons come and go. And they come and go more than once, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. But I want you to meet a guy uh, in our congregation uh, who uh, suffers with depression, and uh, he's done a great job at opening up his heart and showing us what's going on in his life. Watch this video.
1: So I sat at the foot of my bed, stuck it up under my chin, just kind of do a, a, a dry run was able to reach the trigger and pulled the trigger with my thumb. Heard the click. When I saw how easy it was, I decided I was gonna do it. functional home life. My dad, he just, he didn't want nothing to do with anybody in the family. By the time I was eight, I started using drugs, started going downhill from there, having really dark thoughts at an early age. So I knew that I was actually, back then, I was dealing with the depression. Uh, There was alcohol around everywhere when I was about 12. My mom, she wound up Going to jail for contributing, contributing to a minor. After that, I mean, after that, we were kind of bouncing around. Me and one brother and one sister trying to stay together, and we wound up actually living out in the desert. And while we were out in the desert, somebody broke in to our house and and burned it down. We lost everything that we had—all the photos, hand-me-downs, stuff from both grandparents. I, I remember feeling just devastated that somebody would be willing to go to that level. Before Christ, it was—it was dark. It was uh, kind of a self-indulgent, depraved, and I, I say it only like that there because I was willing to jump in uh, waist deep into the drugs the alcohol so it was a self indulgence aspect of it wound up dropping out my senior year and when I dropped out I got kicked out so I was homeless again I was just looking for some kind of spiritual guidance because at that point I'd walked so far away that I, I really felt lost and I went to a little church over by my where I was was staying over in my old neighborhood and I went in there to talk to this guy and he was the pastor and he basically he told me that he couldn't help me because I was not a tithing member of his congregation and that was a devastating blow I was wanting to Give up. I sat at the foot of my bed, stuck it up under my chin. I decided I was gonna do it. went and grabbed one shotgun shell, loaded it, sat back down. And I was getting ready to, getting ready and I heard this voice, real gentle voice back here. And all it said was who's gonna find you?" And in my head, I saw my kids. I I didn't want them to walk in and find me like that. And that that really, that was enough to really kind of jar me back into reality. Straighten things up around the house. When my wife got home, she told me that uh, a a lady at work told her about a church that we really should go try out found our way at Desert Breeze and we've been there ever since as soon as I started going to Desert Breeze kind of felt that comfort felt that hominess it's not like God kind of reached in and is gonna take the depression away in a sense that's my thorn in the side that's that's something that I have to deal with that's something that my family has to deal with with me it's just that's just the way it is but I don't have to deal with it alone, like I thought I did. It's, I, God's there with me, and He's walking me through it. And as of right now, I'm more than willing, and I just have to see where God leads us. Uh, Christ on my side. I mean, God says that He'll never leave me or forsake me. I know that I can go through and deal with the depression, my own which is what I've been doing and that's not easy or I could have God with me
0: pretty real stuff and um, so thank you Robert so much for inviting us into your heart and what's going on um as I said, the spiritual depression is like seasons, like winter and spring and summer and fall. We'll talk a little bit more about that. And, and like, Psalm, like this video, Psalm 42 is not a step-by-step. Here's how you get through depression. Like the video, it's a glimpse into someone suffering from depression. And the psalmist invites us in to see how he is suffering through his depression. And as Robert said, he's not done being depressed. He's He's grabbing a hold of it, and he's he's grabbing a hold of God, and he's working through it, and God's doing something there, and we'll talk more about that later. But uh, I think that we should go to God right now in prayer and just ask him to go into those dark spots of our hearts uh, to help us through this message. So would you pray with me? Bow your heads. God, the most frequent promise that you make to us, as Robert said, is that you will never leave us and never forsake us, and Lord, the most frequent command that you give to us is based on that promise. And that's the command that we are not to be afraid. But there's much to be afraid of in this fallen world. And and you yourself, God, call us in your world. You you call us sheep. And we get scattered and we get lost and we get afraid. And in this fallen world is much to be downcast about. So, God, I ask you to meet us where we are. Lord, I ask you to lift up those who are here with heavy hearts, who feel they're in a dark place, and they don't know why. They're suffering from depression, but they just can't put their finger on why that might be. Say, so God, you shine your light there in their hearts and tell them that you've not gone anywhere and that they don't need to be afraid, that there's, there's hope. God, I lift those up here that absolutely know why they are downcast. Because of tragedy and circumstance in their lives. And they see no way out. God, I pray that you would be with them and help them not to be afraid, Lord. Help them to know that there is a way and it's through your son, Jesus. God, for all of us, I pray that you would just lift up our faces and shine your face upon us in this place. God, send your spirit the one you call the wonderful counselor. Help us to make us whole, unafraid, and encouraged with a great hope in your son. And we thank you, God, that despite our running around and our sheep-like activities, that you're so patient with us. So help us to know your voice, God, and hear it in the whispers of every day and speak to our hearts and meet us in the dark places in our minds and hearts. And God, I lift up especially something that uh, many don't know about the Eddings family who suffered a tragic loss through a motorcycle accident last night, Loyal's brother. So God, be with them as they grieve and and surround them with people that love them, that will grieve with them, and help them to understand that there's celebration to be had in Christ, but there's suffering to be done right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I started talking about seasons, winter, spring, summer, fall. And have you ever had a conversation with someone about where you're at in your spiritual life uh, as, it, as it relates to the season? It might go something like this. There's winter. If you picture winter, it's cold. It's usually cloudy. It's kind of dark. There's nothing on the trees. It kind of looks like everything's dead, dormant. Uh, there's not a lot of growth going on, but yet there's times of celebration on the winter time. but it's It's cold for the most part. There's some severe weather. But at the end of winter, the snow starts melting and the flow starts going and new growth starts happening and then it bursts into spring. And spring that there is new growth and new growth leads to new life. And uh, towards the end of spring, everything's in full bloom. Uh, There's kind of a freedom in summertime where it's time schools out, time for celebration and vacation and rest. Uh, But there's some severe weather in the summertime, especially here in Arizona. Uh, And then summertime, at the end of that, it's time to go get ready back to school. And fall comes, but there's a harvest in the fall. But then the fall, at the end of fall, things, the leaves start falling off. It starts going back into that dormant phase, and it feels a little bit dry. And so to have a conversation about where you're at spiritually regarding the seasons, it's a good conversation to have with people, especially when it comes to the severe weather parts Of uh, your spiritual life. We need to prepare for those things. Just like with the real seasons, we need to prepare for severe weather. And it's funny to me um, that that a lot of times we forget about the severe weather that comes with the season, even though they come year by year by year. I've been living in Arizona for about 40 years, since 1973, and uh, except for about six summers, might have been a couple more, a couple less than that. Every single year, and, and this year it happened too, when it, it hits around 107, 108, it's like, can you believe how hot it is in here? You know, how, ah, ah. and I lament over the, the hot and, you know, the heat and what comes along with that hot seat belt buckles and steering wheels and sweating and, and all kinds of that. And all, as though I forgot how severe the weather is every single summer in Arizona. So When the seasons come up in our lives, it's not that we're not going to suffer the severity of the weather, it's how we're going to suffer. And it's the same thing in our spiritual lives. It's the same thing with our lives, period. We have to prepare ourselves not to not suffer, but to suffer well. All of us are going to encounter spiritual depression, but all of us are going to encounter some other things too. We're going to encounter the death of loved ones, we're going to encounter sickness. At some level, it might be a little bit, it might be a lot. Uh, Finances, we might experience some setbacks. Uh, It might be a little, it might be a lot. We might experience the tragedy of broken relationships or just a strained relationship. But these are all severe seasons of our lives that we need to prepare for, not so that we won't suffer, but so that we will suffer well. And so our teaching today, I titled it Thirst because the psalm starts off right off the bat with this picture of thirst, and I think that thirst is a form of suffering, and however you thirst, it's going to be affected, and how you take care of that thirst uh, with the environment that you're in and how well you're prepared to meet the needs of your thirst. Uh, and spiritually, uh, the psalms has a lot to say about what it feels like to thirst spiritually. In Psalm 63, 1, it says, "'O oh God.'" You are my God, earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. It's very dramatic. And this psalm, Psalm 42, is very, very dramatic. And so it needs to be read that way and understood that way and heard that way. So I want to uh, have you listen to a reading of Psalm 42. You can follow along in your Bibles Uh, So let's listen to Psalm
2: 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise. A multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down? Oh my soul, why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, Where's your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation. And my God.
0: Very dramatic. That is the word of God. Uh, some things we need to notice right up front. The uh, The title says, to the choir master, a masculine of the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah, if you read in Second Chronicles verse 20, or chapter 20, um, they were the worshipers. They were the worship leaders. And, and this is a choir master. So this is a leader of worship Worshippers worship leaders, and so uh, that's going to be important as we talk about. But a mass it's not very well translated into English, but basically what it is, it's, it's it's instruction on how to do something better. And so although this isn't a step-by-step guide, as I said, it's a glimpse in how this particular psalmist suffers through his depression. So he starts off by saying, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul, oh God. Thirst. He talks about a deer. I know something about deer. They're very nervous and they're very, they don't have fangs. They don't have claws to protect themselves. So they're very vulnerable and they're always, they're very tasty. And so they're preyed upon constantly, but they're not stupid. Deer will always dwell in a range of a place that they'll always have a water source. They'll always have some place to drink because they know they're going to be on the run from their predators. And they're made in such a way that they thirst constantly. So they're always drinking. So this picture of of a panting deer is really unusual because there's no reason for a deer to pant if he's near a water source constantly. So there's something strange about this. He's panting for flowing streams, almost as if I get this picture. This is not a picture of a Hallmark card of a pretty deer with violins playing in the background, you know, that's standing at a stream. Uh, I need a drink. No, this is a deer panting. And I get this picture of them in a dry creek bed going. This is my water source. It's dried up. Where is it gone? Where's the flow? Where's my where's how am I going to get my thirst Satisfied. It says he's panting for flowing streams, not in flowing streams. And spiritual depression can be seen in that way. It's this dryness, but along with it comes confusion, like what's happening? Where's the flow? I used to be in the flow. There used to be something to satisfy my thirst. And so if the psalmist here is the deer, then what we see in here, the absence, the apparent absence of the stream represents what? Represents God. And so that's your first fill-in. Spiritual depression is the perceived absence of the presence of God. He says, so pants my soul for you, O God. So there seems to be this absence. I don't believe because of the rest of what we read in this psalm that it's an intellectual problem. He knows there's a God. He knows that he can have a relationship with him. He knows that he can worship with him. He's done it before. So it's not an intellectual problem missing. He says, my soul thirsts for the living God. He's missing an experience. He's not feeling the flow of this daily connection with God of connecting with God. And so he's missing that experience. And sometimes when we look around us and we see other people, have you ever done this? You look at other people, you're kind of feeling this spiritual dryness and you look at other people that seem to be like right in the flow and you kind of go, when's it my turn? When do I get to go back to the flow, and that's what he does. He says, "When shall I appear before God? Come and appear before God. When's it my turn?" Something else I want to point out here: um, it's it's apparent in some other psalms that the reason for depression and repenting and and stuff like that is a result of sin. And certainly, when we sin and we fall outside of uh, what God would have for us, and we suffer consequences for those decisions then there are occasions to be depressed. But that's not apparent in this psalm, so that's not what we're talking about. There's sometimes that we suffer spiritual depression for no apparent reason. But I hope that today God will help us through a spirit to say that there's always reason for it. But uh, in this case, it's not particularly for sin. So what he goes on to say in verse 3 is, My tears have been my food day and night. It's extremely emotional, a response, and it's not a passing moment because it says that it's kind of hanging on. It's day and night. I have no doubt if this psalmist were to go to the therapist in his village and said, you know, I really am feeling depressed, and he would say, well, what's going on? He would say, my tears have been my food day and night, and his therapist would go, so your tears have been your food, so you're really sad you're crying on the time? Have you ever, have you ever just been on the brink of tears all the time? And you're not quite sure why. You you get up in the morning, you burn your toast, and you start crying. It's kind of unusual. You have this inordinate emotional response, and it's like, what is going on in me? So that's where he's at. He's very sad. He's crying all the time. And he says uh, his tears have been his food, so we might assume that he's not eating either. Depression has a way of affecting us in many, many ways, and it affects our appetites in extreme, extreme ways. Sometimes we don't eat, but sometimes we overeat. And so it's, it's an effect on um, how we do life. And he says, my food has been, have been my soul day and night. So we might even assume that he's not sleeping either. His tears have been his food. I'm not eating. I'm not sleeping either. It's been day and night. And depression can do that to us. That we either, uh, extreme, in extreme measures, we don't sleep at all. Or sometimes we just want to sleep all day. And it's a very depressing thing. So these are signs of depression. And um, again, uh, he says, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? And sometimes when we're in depression, whether we have a reason to be or not, we start measuring God by our circumstances. And we start listening to this question, and we're asking this question um, to ourselves, and we're kind of buying into it. Like, where is is my God? God, where have you gone? Because we're just not feeling that flow, and we start measuring God by our circumstances instead of our measuring our circumstances by God. But I think the Spirit got a hold of this guy, and he's entering into this uh, this uh, reflection. He's kind of interviewing himself. He says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. So he's, he's remembering this experience of the flow that he's in, remembering you in those flowing streams spiritually. He says, uh, remember he was a, a choir master? He says, I remember... I would go with the throngs and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise with multitudes of festivals. So there's a lot that we see that is apparently missing in his life right now. He's remembering being with the throngs. He's remembering being in community. So we can maybe assume that he's not in community. He's not maybe at the people that he usually hangs out with and worships God with. But he's also remembering um, the fellowship in worship and the satisfaction of contributing. If he's a choir master, God's wired him up to worship in song. And God gives us our talents so that we can be a blessing and use them for his glory and other people's good to be a blessing. And there's a sweetness in being able to contribute that blessing in what God's doing, especially in the church. And so he's remembering that. And he's remembering the fruits of his efforts, and he's remembering the shared celebration. The shared celebration of celebrating God in your life, and it just seems to be missing. And he says, a multitude-keeping festival. Well, it doesn't really appear that he's in a festival right now. There's really no party going on. And that's, again, why it's not a hallmark picture of a deer panting at a stream. So he, he's outside of his community, and he's feeling the effects of being kind of lonely and in the dark. And uh, that's what depression feels like. Uh, Robert, in his video, said it's, it's this darkness. Uh, there's a great book by uh, Edward T. Welch on depression, uh, and uh, it's, the subtitle is A Stubborn Darkness. I'd encourage you to read that if you're uh, struggling with depression. So he goes into this interviewing process. He goes into his interviewing of his broken self. He says, why are you downcast on my soul? And why are you at turmoil within me? This isn't a a hypothetical question. Like we might ask somebody, what are you, stupid? We're not expecting them to answer us and say, well, yes, I am stupid. It's a hypothetical question that we ask. He's saying, why are you downcast on my soul? He's actually investigating and trying to figure out what's going on inside of me that I can't worship. I'm a worshiper. Why don't you worship? Worship, worship, worship. I can't worship. I don't know. I'm suffering. Why am I going on? So he's at turmoil within himself, and he can't seem to figure it out. But what he's doing is he's talking to himself instead of listening to himself. And there's a big difference. Uh, There's a great theologian called... um, Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he did a a teaching on spiritual depression, actually this psalm. And he says this, have you ever realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday and maybe today and maybe the problems of tomorrow. Somebody is talking Who is talking to you? Your self is talking to you. And he says, now this man's treatment, he's talking about the psalmist. Now this man's treatment was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why are you downcast O my soul? He asks. His soul has been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. So he's doing this healthy self-talk. We've talked in the past in other teachings that sometimes we have unhealthy self-talk where we go the wrong direction and we're doing more listening to ourselves than talking to ourselves. So we need to talk to ourselves. He says, hope in God for I shall again praise him. I'll be in the flow again, so I just need to hope in God. And I think he reminds himself of the proximity of God too because he says, hope in God for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My salvation and my God. God is very personal to him. And actually, when you translate out the phrase, my salvation, it's the salvation of my face. It's this face-to-face encounter that we can have with God when we have deep, vital communion with him. So it's really neat to see what this progression that he goes from reflection, then he's interviewing himself. Then he goes from questioning to making a statement. He says, my soul is cast down within me. So he's kind of grasped the reality that I'm depressed. So my cat, my soul is cast down within me. And he's bracing the reality of his, his circumstances and his, his his emotional state. And he's doing more of this self-talk. He says, he's, he's thinking about the flow. What was it like? And he says, therefore, I remember, I remember you. So he's kind of changing his game plan from listening to his fears and inordinate emotions to um, remembering God. And the beauty of doing this, the beauty of interviewing ourselves and doing this healthy self-talk is sometimes it will point out our inordinate fears, our inordinate anxieties, our misplaced dependencies, our false idols, those things that we're putting God expectations on that can't be met through those things. Only God can meet God expectations. (coughs) Excuse me. So we need to do that in this process of interviewing ourselves and grasping on to whatever's going on in our hearts. So he's remembering. What is he remembering? He said, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and of Mount Mizar. Now, some commentators, and he says from the land of Jordan and from Mount Mizar. So it's, it's quite possible that that's where he is and he's not where he used to be when he was with the throng. But I think it's much more than that. Um, These particular places, if you think about it, um, the land of Jordan, that's where God's people crossed the Jordan River and God dried up the Jordan so they could cross over into the promised land. The land of uh, of Hermon, that's where all these big armies that the the people of God were so afraid of, but God helped them defeat those armies so they could inhabit the land that he promised to them. And Mount Mizor, this is a psalm, many of the psalms were remote. Uh, were wrote written by David and uh, Mount Mizar is actually when, when, uh, when David's son was after him to kill him, Absalom Mount Mizar is where he hid out. God gave him a hiding place from his adversary. And so what I think is going on here more so than being an account of where he is separated to is that he's remembering God. He's remembering God's goodness and power and faithfulness. Does that make sense? He's remembering that God was good and he's is good and he will be good. So he's remembering he's getting back into the flow, but he's a human being. And so he seems to have this grip on God, but then he kind of seems to lose his grip. And he goes on to say, deep calls to deep and the roar of your water force, all your breakers and all your waves have gone over me. So it's this lament. Whenever the Bible talks about the sea, It's usually shipwrecks and turmoil and waves crashing and stuff. It's this uncontrollable place of doom and destruction that we see. And I think this is the same picture, and he's kind of losing his grip. But what I uh, kind of caught on to was waterfalls and um, the sea don't really go together, and waves don't go with waterfalls either. So I studied it out a little bit, and one of the commentators that I read said, uh, more accurately put, it's not waterfalls, it's water spouts. So let's think about this, the sea. Deep calls to deep. Have you ever been to the ocean where the deep waters just rise up and put these waves up, and there's just just this deep sound of the crashing waves. A water spout is when a tornado goes over the ocean and it sucks up millions and millions of gallons of water. And then when that tornado, with all of its water goes over uh, the land, it breaks and all the water crashes down over whatever's underneath of it, and it causes great, great destruction. So, excuse me, that's kind of the picture that I get here. He's saying that um, deep calls to deep, the roar roar of the waterfalls. It's like he's clinging to God as the rock, but he kind of seems to be torn away, and he's losing his grip on the inside. Uh, But he uses this very personal language. He says, your breakers and your waterfalls and your waves. It's kind of like he's almost calling God out by saying, are you really in control or are you doing this on purpose? He's kind of having this battle in his brain about the goodness of God. And, you know, if you're so in control and you love me, what's going on? And I think we all have that kind of struggle because we can't physically see God. And and what we have to remember is when we can't see the hand of God, we need to trust the heart of God. We've heard that before. So depression feels that way. We go from this perilous perch, and we're hanging on, and it seems we're kind of torn away. And then then the waves bring us back in, and we have something to cling on to, but it's exhausting. If you've ever been to the beach, uh, especially in California, there's the lifeguard towers along the beach, and whenever a riptide comes along... A riptide is when two tides come like this and there's this great undertow that happens and they usually call everybody in to the beach until the riptide passes. Why? Because if you get in that riptide, it's going to suck you out and you're not going to drown because uh, you can't swim. You're going to drown because it's exhausting. And this psalmist seems like he's exhausted and that's what depression does to us. It's a state of exhaustion. And then it goes back to remembering God. (laughs) This sweetness that... He's going back and forth. He's, he's recalling the, the days when he was in the flow. He says, by day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. He's remembering that God has visited me in the daytime. And I get to the end of the day, and after that sweetness of his visitation, I sing praises to him, and those are my prayers to him. So there's a sweetness that he remembers again. And then it goes right back to... Um, he seems to be in that flow, but he goes right back to his human emotion and says, I say to the God of my rock, the God, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning? Because, because of the oppression of the enemy. And with a d- deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all day long, Where is your God? A little bit about taunting. He seems to be taunted, he feels taunted and about the enemy. Uh, It it has enemy, singular, and adversaries, plural here. We have an enemy that doesn't want us to be in the flow, this vital union with God. And he will taunt us by using his minions by just kind of speaking to us in our minds and we start uh, listening to him. And and uh, And he's using our circumstances to... Continue our depression, but to look around us and really start focusing on what we don 't have. I talked a little bit about that earlier, but sometimes he does it in extreme ways maybe maybe you 're uh, having a, uh, a a kind of an okay day, not so good there 's some things that you 're worried about, but you 're on your way home from work you 're wearing your nice work clothes, and you get a flat tire on the freeway. You pull over you got to roll up your sleeves you 're not really dressed for the occasion of a flat tire. And it's 115 degrees outside. The jack is hot. The tire's hot. You don't know quite how to do a tire. And you're on this slanted thing. And you're like, oh, what is going on? And you look around and there's people whizzing by you. Why are you taunting me with your four good tires? You're mocking me. (laughs) And so the enemy uses our circumstances to point out what we don't have. And he whispers in our ear. These little things like, you're a child of God, and he doesn't treat his kids very well, does he? He must not blive you that much if this is happening to you. And he leads us into this thing where we start measuring God by our circumstances, forgetting what's been done on the cross for us. And again, this isn't a suck it up because some of the stuff that we go through is just insurmountable and we can't in our own selves deal with it. That's why there has to be a God. Otherwise we have no hope. And so he does this whispering to us. And um, you know what? It's no different than uh, his tact with Jesus in the desert. So here's Jesus. He's starting his earthly ministry, baptized by John the Baptist. The spirit of God comes down, sits on his shoulder. An audible voice comes out. This is my son who I'm well pleased. Ah. I'm in the flow. And then the wonderful counselor leads him into the desert to fast for 40 days by himself all alone. And the enemy comes along and says, you're the son of God. You're divine. Why would your father send you out here? If you are divine, you know, why don't you turn these rocks into bread so that you would have something to eat? You shouldn't go hungry if you're the son of God. And if he loves you so much and will protect you, why don't you just jump off this cliff? Let's prove that he loves you so much that he won't let you be dashed on the rocks. And he just taunts Jesus, but he doesn't fold. Jesus just hits him with scripture. And he says, no, man does not live on bread alone, but out of every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, I don't need bread because there's something much more that gives me life. Than bread. I don't need you to tell me or question whether my father loves me and to prove to you that he loves me by jumping off this cliff. I trust him. I trust his love. I trust his provision and I trust him so much that I don't have to test him. He'll be there for me. He said he will never leave me, forsake me. He tells me not to be afraid. That's the kind of self-talk that we need to have. But we're human, right? And so he goes back to saying, why are you downcast O oh my soul? And why are you at turmoil within me? See, we need bold self-talk. And sometimes when we can't do bold self-talk, we need bold preaching. We need bold people to come alongside of us and say, come on, come on. I know you're down, but let's get up. I'll help you. Let's work through this together. It's called the body of Christ. Hope in God. I shall again praise him, my salvation, my God. See, Western society programs us that if there's something wrong, if it we're uncomfortable, that, you know, there must be something off kilter here. We better do something about it. If you don't feel right, take a pill. And if that pill's not working quite, not quite right, take another pill with it, and that'll work better. Or they'll say, you know, you look like you have it so good here. What, what are you sniveling about? Suck it up. Get over it. Quit your sniveling. That's not the answer either. Or they'll say, you don't feel good. You're not feel quite, you know, all about who you're, you know, it's not all about you. Buy a car. Go on vacation. Hit a happy hour. If it's not going your way, cheat a little bit. No one will know. Sue somebody. <laughs> go ahead that'll make you feel better. Steal a little bit. See, this is all shooting from the hip in the dark to try and fulfill a need that only God can fulfill in us. And what we need to understand is God and understand us, how he made us and how he wired us. And it helps me to understand those things about me and what the seasons of depression are for. I want to get a little bit technical here. God made us to be physical, emotional, relational, and spiritual beings. And our stamina in life will depend on how mature we are as human beings in all of those areas and our ability or inability to satisfy the needs in the environment that we're in. And that's your next fill in the blank. An inability to endure life experiences results in exhaustion. And as I said, depression is a state of exhaustion. So here's here's where we get technical. If you were suffering depression and you went to the doctor and they diagnosed you with depression, here's what they would tell you that it is. Major depression is defined as a complex, biomedical, psychosocial, and spiritual disorder that adversely affects a person's family, work, or school life, sleeping habits, eating habits, and general health. That doesn't sound like fun. But there's a lot here. Let me, let me talk about it, and, and a lot of it's very biblical. Complex, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. The Bible says uh, our heart's wicked above all things. Who can understand it? So we really don't even understand ourselves. But biomedical, we have a physical being that needs physical things. We need food. We need water. We need exercise. We need sleep. Psychosocial, this is our mental and our relational needs. And how we navigate that, I'm going to talk a lot more about that. And we also have spiritual needs. And when things aren't going right, there's a disorder that adversely affects a person at different levels. And at the most extreme levels, it affects every area of your life. So I want to focus on this word psychosocial. Psychosocial health has to do with the development of our ability to integrate into realities in different stages of life. Psychosocial development should happen all the way from intimacy into late adulthood. And in each stage, the person confronts and hopefully masters new challenges and learns to process them both mentally, psycho, and experientially, social. And each stage builds on the next. And so psychosocial development happens. It might look this way. We have a lot of babies here at Desert Breeze. And a lot of you have uh, newborns or have had had newborns. When your newborns are hungry, what do they do? They cry. They scream if you don't feed them after a certain period of time. And so in their social environment and their infantile thinking, that's how they let you know that they need food, but then they learn that you're going to feed them. And so their thirst or their hunger is satisfied. And so they learn that, Oh, if I cry, I'm going to get fed. But pretty soon as parents, we have to teach them pretty soon. Well, you got to hold your own bottle, right? And then after you learn to hold your own bottle, then you just start eating solid foods. And, and the parent is the source of feeding, but then the parents going to teach them how to feed themselves. And eventually as Childhood and adolescence go on. You're going to learn to cook your own food. Maybe you're going to learn how to shop. Maybe you're going to learn how to go get a job and buy your own food. And so psychosocial development happens as you learn and grow to meet your own needs. We have to mature to learn how to meet our own needs. And so if this psychosocial development doesn't happen in the future, it'll show up in psychological and social problems. And so here's how it looks. Ladies, maybe you're uh, in the market for uh, having a relationship and you're 25 and uh, you meet a, a young man and he's, he's very polite, carries himself well. And you decide to go out on a date and you go to a restaurant and things are going well. Great, pleasant conversation. Waitress comes, you order the food, he orders for you. And oh, that was nice. And so the food comes and he has this weird look in his face. You're like, well, is there something wrong? Well, I need you to cut up my food, and after to go to the bathroom, would you help me go potty? <laughs> that would be bad psychosocial development. There's obviously some problems that will arise in that relationship psychologically and socially. Do you understand how that works? Okay. So after all that, um, this psychosocial development is, is getting good at things required at certain levels of maturity, and mastering the stages is not required to the advance to the next stage. But you have to get at least a little bit good at it. And this is kind of what I'm trying to bridge this back to what I was saying earlier. It's not that we're not going to suffer because this development requires some suffering. It's that we're going to be prepared for the future seasons of life. And it happens by embracing the conflict of two things. Our biological forces, follow along with me. This is, we'll call this our condition And the conflict with our condition and our social or cultural forces, we'll call this our environment. Okay? So, number four, fill in, and it has to do with all that information I just gave you, development or stamina that comes through growing through psychosocial crisis or the growing through the conflict between our condition and our environment.
1: Well, that's just a bunch of worldly
0: psychobabble no, it's actually biblical. Let me show you how. Tell me if you think this is a conflict. You are in, but not of this world. In fact, James chapter 15, verse 19 says that the world hates us. You think that's kind of a psychosocial conflict that you might have to work through? How about this one? My ways are not your ways. If if you have any measure of honesty in you, you'll you will agree that we fight with God all the time because he's in control and we're not. He says, my ways are not your ways. And we go through life and struggle and wonder why things aren't going our way. And we look at God and we say, you know, God, this, this doesn't work out. Could we try something? Maybe you could be my disciple and I could be in charge instead. And that's a conflict. It's not going to work out. How about this one? Love your enemies. Pray for your enemies. Is that a conflict of the way we think? And the environment that we're in. How about this one? If you want to save your life, you must lose it. Is that a conflict in the way our condition has wired us and the way the gospel works out in our lives? You know that the gospel is actually a conflict for us because we don't really believe that the core of our being most of the time that we're so bad that Jesus had to die for us. And if we get over that hurdle, then we don't believe, when we're in touch with our sinfulness, then we get stuck in a different place, which is, well, I'm not lovable enough that he wanted to die. Well, yes, Jesus had to die for you, but he wanted to die for you. And there's truth in that. So, so why do I say all this? Again, it's not to say grow up or get over it. It's absolutely not that. It's to point to the one, the only one that's going to get us through and to help us to understand that we need to develop spiritually to know him better and to know him better. We'll learn to trust him more and hang on tighter when we're suffering spiritual de- uh, depression. When we do this, we'll be able to integrate into the realities of life a whole lot more. We won't won't not suffer, but we'll suffer well. And uh, we certainly won't allow the enemy to trick us into believing that God doesn't have our best interest in mind. And uh, God can then use our circumstances to show his closeness and his power and his love for us. J.I. Packard said this. He said, God uses chronic pain and weakness along with other afflictions as his chisel for sculpturing our lives. Well, that's encouraging. Felt weakness depends or deepens dependence on Christ for strength each day. The weaker we feel, the harder we lean and the harder we lean, the stronger we grow spiritually, even while our bodies waste away. Robert, you use this term to live with your thorn uncomplainingly. That is with a sweetness and patience and freedom in your heart to love and help others, even though every day you feel weak. This is true sanctification. It is true healing for the spirit. It is a supreme victory of grace. So God can use whatever is depressing you to show his love and his power and his grace to give you some muscle to press on and to hang on. And so as as Robert has done and as we all need to do, we need to embrace our conflict and integrate into reality, and we can do that in um, a number of different ways. And, and here's how I put it First, we need to look in. Looking in has to do with evaluating our physical needs. Are we feeling bad? Are we, you know, there's something going on medically? We need to go to the doctor and find out. We also need to look at our belief system. We need to look in to see why we believe what we believe. What is our truth source? Who are we listening to? What's our intellectual diet? And uh, do ourselves a check on that. And also look at our critical self-talk. If you don't talk to yourself in a healthy way, critically, uh, you need to get someone alongside of you that loves you and can tell you the truth in a loving way to um, help you with that critical self-talk. And there's also prayer. We talk to God. There's the Holy Spirit that convicts us, and we have to respond to that and what's going on. There's God's holy word that tells us how much he loves us and who we are in Christ. So after we look in, we also look up, and this is seeking God. God says in his word, when we seek him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength, he promises that we will find him. And so this is the process of seeking God and learning to estimate the world through God's eyes and not, the, uh, not God through the world's eyes. And this has to do with prayer and his holy word an intimate fellowship. See, we have a personal relationship with God, my God, my salvation, but we also have a corporate relationship with God in the body of Christ. So we have intimate relationship with God in our prayer life, and our study of his word, but we also study in small groups. That's a little less intimate, but a little bit more useful than the, than the corporate thing that we do here on Sundays. But we also have corporate worship where we worship him together. And God says that he inhabits the praises of his people. So he's here And when we gather together in his name, just two or more, he's there. And so that's how it happens. It it was really interesting. I heard another message this week on um, how to pray. And I never caught this is that when the disciples asked Jesus, how should we pray? He said, what? Our father, our father. We have a private prayer closet, but we have a corporate prayer closet where we're supposed to pray together. Our father who art in heaven, give us this day, our daily bread, forget our trespasses. He's trying to encourage us that we have a Christian life to live out in the amongst of the body whose head is Christ. And when it comes to being depressed spiritually and stuff, there's no greater people to be surrounded by than us. We certainly need God and he's there for us. He'll never leave us, forsake us. And so the body of Christ ought never to do that either. So that's really important. So we look in, we look up, and we also look around. This is evaluating our investments and our priorities in lots of different things. In our trusted fellowship, who are we hanging out with? Who's our truth source of giving us uh, words of encouragement? Are, Are they pointing us to God or are they pointing us to happy hour? Yeah, (laughs) I've been there. Um, What are our sacrificial loves? We love things because we trust them. We put our hopes in them. And are we putting God, trust, and hope in things that have no chance at all by meeting those things? What are our dependencies? Do we have misplaced dependencies or false idols? This is a process that we need to go through by looking at ourselves personally. What's our personal community, our personal calendar? personal checkbook, our personal worldview. How do we treat the Bible? Is it something we carry to church on Sunday and it sits on the shelf for the rest of the week? Have you found yourself in a place that when you open up your Bible, you just don't get it? You need to enter in and look around to the community that you're in and find people that can study God's word together and help you along in that. So look in, look up, look around, and also look at your grip. What are you hanging on to? Are you hanging on? And this requires a real diligent effort in A, B, and C, looking in, looking up, and looking around. Are you hanging on to things that have no chance of meeting your satisfaction when it comes to eternity? Are you hanging on to people um, that uh, really can't meet your needs? They're just making you feel better, supposedly. So it takes an earnest effort through steps one through three, and it leads to either going well, I, I think I'm doing okay with my community and my calendar and my checkbook and stuff, and but things are just messed up right now. Get some blood back in your hands and just hang on to God tighter. Hope in God. But if you're hanging on to things that you ought not to be hanging on with, go like this. God's not interested in our comfort. He's interested in our character and our wholeness, and he wants to meet us there. Number five, God's greatest desire is to be glorified by leading us through life. And this, is the hap- this happens best in the sanctifying process that shows his strength is made perfect in what? Our weakness. There's lots of scriptural references there. I encourage you to study those on your own and with some other people. So it might be shocking to you and might be depressing for you to hear this, but the ultimate cost for spiritual depression is God. Well, thank you very much. That's encouraging. Hang on. Embrace the conflict. Right? We're getting to the foundation here. You see, in this fallen world that we live in, God sometimes allows our experience of dryness to show us that we need to pour out our souls. Pour out our souls in the way that we have nothing left, that we go to our maker with an empty bucket list. That's the only way to approach God. And that takes some suffering. That takes some thirst. You see, we need to understand that thirst is a necessary part of our spiritual being, not a deficiency in our environment. Does that make sense? We have to thirst. Otherwise, we don't need God. Let me ask you some questions. When you're tired in life, in a fallen world, do you long for the kingdom of heaven? When all seems lost, do you long to be comforted? When life seems empty, do you hunger and thirst to be filled? When you've done your best to do right and you just get hammered by the world around you, do you want to be shown some mercy? When doing right seems futile, do you just ache to see God? Does the enemy whisper in your ear that you are a bastard child and you just want to know for sure that you are a child of God destined for a place called the kingdom of heaven? When you've hung on the best you can and adored Christ and then continued to trust in him despite all the persecution and evil around you, do you know for sure that greatest? Your reward in heaven? Do you know these things? Do those things, when you're not feeling like you're in the flow, are those some of the questions that kind of eat at you? Well, these are the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3, five, three, three through 12. And there's one thing that we need to catch on to. Ray talked about anxiety the last night. He said the one thing. What is the one thing? Communion with God. It's the one thing we need to latch on to in our spiritual depression because what he's telling us here is blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. What's the one thing? Why are blessed are the poor in spirit? Because God's saying that's where I am. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Why? Because that's where I am. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth because that's mine. And that's what I'm going to give them. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled because that's what I do. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy because that's what I am. And I am all merciful. My mercy is endless. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Where my kids are, That's where I am. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when you are insulted, persecuted, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven because that's where I am. And by the way, they did it to the prophets that I sent before you. They're going to do it to you. They did it. They're going to do it to people that come after you. And check this out. They did it to my son. On the cross, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God says, that's where I was. In the fullness of my wrath. Because I wanted to be able to say, Never will I leave you. Never will I seek you. And when you're in a place where you think that God isn't, all these places, mourning and depression and stuff, where you think God is absent, he's telling us through the cross, that's where I am. I've made it possible that my son would be forsaken so you would never be forsaken. I made it so my son would fear separation from me So you would have to never, ever fear separation from me. Where are you at? Where are you? Are you depressed? Are there some things that are just overwhelming you? Are you in that place where the breakers are just crashing over you? That's where God is. He loves you. He wants to meet you there and meet your every need. He's not saying suck it up. The gospel does not tell us not to be depressed. It tells us who will bring us through our depression. Will you stand with me? I'd like to pray with you. God, thank you so much for your word. And uh, even more so, God, that you are just an ever-present hope. Thank you, as it says in Psalm 1830, Lord, that uh, your way is perfect. Your word is pure and that you are a shield that for all that seek you. God, we need you. We need you so desperately. Lord, help us to hang on tight and not lose our grip. Help us to look inside and to understand what we believe. Help us to look up and see you. Help us to see you all around us in the people that we spend time with and the things that we give our lives to. Help us to see you there so we don't get lost and afraid and find ourselves in a dark place. Lord, meet us in our depression and, and bring us out. Shine your light in those places where we hide and we run to. Help us to experience the promise that you give us in your word that says that you'll never leave us or forsake us and for us not to be afraid. Why? Why? Because wherever we are, that's where you are. We beg you, God. In your son's name we pray. And everyone said? God bless you guys. Have a good weekend.